Welcome to Revival Leadership Insights with Ed Crenshaw, a podcast for empowering and equipping leaders for revival in the greater Philadelphia region and throughout our nation. Thanks for tuning in today. If you are enjoying these podcasts, we invite you to subscribe, follow us on Facebook, and to check out edcrenshaw.com for free resources to train church leaders today for revival tomorrow. Great to see all of you here. Great to welcome those who are watching online. I'm so excited about today's message, and I'm excited because I'm preaching on what has to be one of the greatest set of promises that we can find in all of Scripture. By the way, if you are watching online, you know, there's a whole lot more that God wants to do in your life beyond what He could do in this one message. So I want to encourage you to subscribe to the Victory Church channel on YouTube. Follow us, and we really do want to be a blessing to you. But the passage that we're looking at is Mark chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. And a lot of you who've been around the church world for quite some time know these verses very, very well. And we're going to jump into them because I do believe they are still applicable today. Jesus says these words, Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go! Throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and you will receive it. What? Promises. I mean, those are so great, so expansive. I know that the question that pops into a lot of our, of our minds is this. What's the catch? This has got to be too good to be true. When I was in seminary, I did a mission trip to Mexico, lived in Mexico City for about three months, and I led a young teenage boy in the neighborhood to Jesus. And he immediately developed this hunger and thirst for the Word of God. And he just got his new Bible and was reading and reading and reading. And every day he would come to me with questions. And uh, one day he came to me with this couple of verses and said, Is this really true? Is this really true? And my answer is an unequivocal, Yes, these promises are true. They really are true. True. And, you know, I want to encourage us as a church and you as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we don't want to be guilty of just looking religious, having a form of godliness, but then deny the power of God. We want to be people who live and work and walk in the power of Jesus Christ. So we have some great promises that are back by the power of God. Faith really does release the power of God. That's why in verse 22, just before these great and amazing promises, Jesus said to his disciples, have faith in God. Have faith in God. 
See, there is something of a condition for these promises to become true in our lives. And number one is that we have faith in God. It's a faith that centers on God himself. Now, a lot of times we say about Victory Church that we are a church that believes in the power of prayer. Amen? Amen. And we do believe in the power of prayer. But prayer only has power to the degree that it's backed by the power of God. It's God that we really have faith in. We, we don't have faith in our faith. We have faith in God. And it's important that we understand that the power that we're believing for can only be as great as the object of our faith. I, mean, I, I used to have faith that a particular deck chair at my house would hold me up. And uh, I really had faith, and I had a good foundation for that faith because I sat in that chair many times over several years. But what my faith did not account for was the impact of weather and the sun on the fabric of that chair until one time in full faith I sat down and went right through it. I, I know with as thin as I am, I know it's hard to believe that I would break any chair. Big boy that chair, as my brother-in-law used to say, I big boyed that chair. Oh, man. See, the issue is not the power of my faith. The issue is the power of the God in whom I have faith. Have faith in God. See, we, we can't just trust in, oh, just believe. A lot of times we act as though just believe and that belief has power regardless of the object of the faith. You know, but this is not something that Jesus says is applicable to any faith system, any religious system, or even just faith in ourselves, faith in faith. This is about the object of our faith being the God of the universe, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have faith in God. And I can tell you this, you know, a lot of times, a superficial faith or a faith in ourselves, faith in our abilities, faith in certain things like that chair, it'll hold us up for a little while. It, it, it will work. It will accomplish certain kinds of actions and, and responses that we want, but only the God of the universe is ultimately worthy of our entire faith, that we would entrust our full weight, that we would entrust our full selves, heart, soul, and body to him. We don't have faith in our ability to have faith. We don't have faith in our own virtue. We don't have faith in our ability to be religious enough because those things, they might work for a little while, but the test of time will prove that they will not quite measure up. We have faith in God. And that faith, that's the kind of faith that will move mountains. It won't just accomplish a limited set of goals that we set for ourselves and we have faith to move toward. It is the faith that we have in God that will move mountains, that will do the impossible. And sometimes we face situations in life where we need the impossible to be done by God, where we need a miracle. And Jesus said, if we have faith in God, then we can speak to that mountain, and that mountain must go. Amen? Amen. Amen.
So still, I'm sure we have questions about tapping into the power of God. I know you're still thinking, surely there's some catch. Because I've spoken to mountains before and they didn't move. I believed for a miracle before and it didn't happen. I prayed for something to happen. I prayed for somebody to be healed and it didn't happen. So there must be some kind of catch. Well, you probably think I'm going to say there is no catch. But there is a catch. There is a catch in this sense. God has some conditions in which our faith is intended or to operate. God has conditions. Now, God's not a transactional God. He, he's not a bargaining God. You know, have you ever been to a, another nation where, you know, somebody gives you a price and you get to bargain back and forth? God's not like that. God's not a bargainer. It's not like, God, if I do this, then, you know, you have to do that. And I think sometimes when we think about exercising our faith, it's almost as though we're bargaining with God. God, I did this, therefore I can count on you to do that. Boom, you're obligated. Well, God's not that kind of bargain maker. He's not, you know, looking for a deal. He's not making a deal with you. But he does make covenants. And a covenant is a mutual commitment, but it's the, the terms are set by the higher power. And he's God. And he thinks he has, I don't know, he thinks he has the authority to set the parameters of the covenant or the agreement that he makes with us. He thinks he has those, that level of authority, and guess what? He does. He does. But that's good. That's wonderful because if it comes to bargaining for the, the miraculous power of God to work in our lives, we're going to fall short. We trust in God and who he is and the kind of God that he is. And he does set a couple of terms for the operation of our faith, the kind of faith that will move mountains, that'll do miracles, that'll do the impossible. And Mark gives us those parameters, or at least a couple of, of conditions for mountain-moving faith in Mark chapter 11. And the promises are in the context of two different stories that Mark is telling, two stories that are intertwined with each other. And the two stories that Mark goes in and out of is first the uh, cursing of the fig tree, and then the cleansing of the temple, and then we go back to the story of the fig tree. And the two stories work hand in hand because they're both making the same point. And this, the point of both of those stories, the cursing of the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple, you know, when Jesus drove out the money changers, is this. Here's the message. God expects fruit. God expects fruit. He's looking for fruit. Primarily the fruit that God is looking for is not just the character, the fruit of God's spirit in us, but he's looking for fruit in the sense of more people coming into relationship with him. That's what God's looking for. Let's read the entire context. Quite a few verses here, but let's read the context and let's look for these conditions for that promise and the power of faith to come into reality in our lives. 
This is the purpose of faith that we've got to tap into. Mark 11, beginning with verse 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves. That's what a lot of dead religion is, people. Nothing but leaves. Because it was not the season for figs. And you might say, well, how could he expect to find figs when it wasn't the season for figs? Well, that's exactly the point. Jesus is saying, now is the season for fruit. Now is the season. So verse 14, then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. Verse 15, on reaching Jerusalem, this is the second story now, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, which were there for the offerings and the sacrifices of the people, and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree. So now we go back to the fig tree story. They saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Jesus said, may no one eat fruit from you again. And then the tree withered just almost immediately. And here's where the verses that we've read already today come into play. Have faith in God. Here's the lesson of both the the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So as we look at the uh, purpose of faith, which are the parameters for faith to operate, to release the power of faith, you see that the problem was that neither the fig tree nor the religious system of Jesus' day were producing fruit. Neither one. And Mark, Mark is really emphatic about this because, you know, there are other Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John, which all have stories about the cleansing of the temple. And in most of those, it quotes Jesus as saying, my house will be a house of prayer. And that's appropriate. That's appropriate. God's house should be a house characterized by prayer, by people who have faith in God and who submit their needs and their requests to the Lord. But Mark adds something to it. It doesn't really add. He really includes the fuller quotation that Jesus was, was using because Jesus was quoting from the Old Testament. And Mark says, not just my house will be called a house of prayer. Mark says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, 
for all nations. See, Mark's concern is not just that God's temple be a house of prayer, but that God's temple be a house of prayer for all nations, that it be a place where people can come, not just from among the Jewish people, but from all the nations on earth and have that place where God has said he would cause his presence to dwell, where God said, I will meet with you there. God wanted all the nations to come. But instead of the religious system of Jesus' day opening up and embracing and drawing in people from all nations, which God had said at the very beginning when he created the Jewish people, when he called Abram to himself and said, you will be the father of many nations and through you all nations on earth will be blessed. And the people, the religious system of Jesus' day was ignoring the purposes of God. And so instead of having a place where the Gentiles could come, because the Gentiles were not allowed to go into the deeper parts of the temple, but there was an outer court where they could come, but instead of being welcomed there, they were kept out because the religious system had turned it into a place that just served for the convenience of the people who were already in the religious system. And, you know, it's not just that... You know, you had money changers and people selling doves and sacrifices and that they were cheating the people. That's a probability. But it's that they were not making room for the people for whom that court had been established. And the fact is the, the exchange of money was so that people could bring coins that were not from the far reaches of the Roman Empire and offer to God coins that didn't have idols stamped onto them. Sounds good, right? I mean, why offer God something with an idol stamped onto it? And the fact is that since they did come from the far reaches of the empire to worship God at the temple, the place designated for God's presence, it would have been very difficult to bring animal sacrifices from afar, but they could just buy them right there. I wonder how much of religious activity is about just making it convenient for ourselves to the neglect of the call to really bear fruit by reaching people who are far from God, who don't really have a place to worship God. Man, that's what we're about. At Victory Church, that really is what we want to be about, making place for people and not just making it easy for us to have the religion that we enjoy. Amen. I could say a whole lot more about that because I think sometimes we just want to do our little Pentecostal thing and we don't really care about the impact it might have on somebody who, you know, could just be, as Paul says, somebody new or an unbeliever and just think, man, you guys are crazy. Yeah, but we're having fun. Hmm. No, God wants fruit. God wants fruit. He wants to reach people. And that's what Mark is concerned about here. See, God's not interested in fruitless religion. You know, sometimes we act like just being little and small and enjoying ourselves is more holy and more attractive to God. But God wants fruit. He wants the nations to be drawn to himself. God is interested in people coming into a relationship with himself. God wants relationship with people. And when we devote ourselves to God's purposes, when we devote ourselves to bearing fruit, 
when we devote ourselves to making a way for people to come into relationship with God, then when we pray, then when we speak to the mountain, we will have the power of God behind us. That's where we're going to see the power. That's where we're going to see miracles. Have you ever wondered, if you've been around the church world, you probably have wondered about why you hear about miracles happening in the mission field or somewhere like that. Well, I think there are a lot of reasons. Sometimes it's desperation. Sometimes, you know, a miracle is the only hope in the face of a lack of medication or something like that. But I think a lot of the reason that you have miracles more prevalent in the mission field is just that. It's about mission. It's about reaching people. It's about reaching the nations. But you know what? You don't have to go to a foreign mission field to reach the nations, not, not here in America anymore. And you don't have to go to a foreign mission field to reach one of the biggest mission fields in the world as far as people who do not yet have a relationship with God, and that is the United States of America or wherever you are. There's a mission field right where you are. And if we devote ourselves to being fruitful in this place to which God has called us, where he has set us, I can guarantee you, just like on the mission field, we are going to see God's power release like we'll never see it if we only want to contain the power of God within the walls of the church. God wants us to be about bearing fruit. And I want to encourage you to do this. I, this is bold. Somebody in the next few days is going to share with you a problem. And some of those people who share with you a problem are not going to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ yet. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to pray for them. And I can't say it's going to happen in every case. But for some of you, when you pray for that need, you're going to see a miracle. Some of you are going to see some amazing miracles. It's going to be awesome. Now, now what if you don't see a miracle after you pray? Well, you know, there are a lot of times that it doesn't happen the way we want. But I can tell you this, if we don't pray, if we don't speak to the mountain, if we don't pray in faith and belief, along with the purposes of God of being fruitful, we won't see a miracle then either. So I want to encourage you, step out in faith. Now, I know that this promise that we could speak to mountains and that we can pray and know that we have received already and then we will receive it in the future, I know that belongs in the context of bearing fruit. Mark is so clear on that. That might raise another question, but what about my own needs? What about the miracle I need in my life? Does that mean since that's not about reaching somebody evangelistically, bearing fruit evangelistically, that I can't count on the power of God? No, that's not what we're saying. See, the promises do work pertaining to your needs. The promises do work pertaining to the needs of your family and your loved ones. See, if you are a person consecrated to doing the work of God, God's going to take care of you. I am certain of this. God's more faithful than we are, right? Absolutely. And if we are faithful to building his house, he's going to build your house. If we're faithful to take care of his business, he's going to take care of your business. He is faithful. He is faithful. Right now, our economy is a little iffy. Anybody notice that? A little iffy. 
I, I keep hearing that we have the highest rate of inflation that we've had since 1982, 8.5%. At least it's not as bad as it was in 1980, 14.6%. So it could get worse. Well, in 1980, I dropped out of college because I ran out of financial aid and also because I knew I wasn't accomplishing with my life what I wanted to accomplish. And I thought I'd get a job and, you know, save up money and go back to college, get a fresh start. But, man, there was no job. Finally, finally I did, did get a job, found somebody who would hire me. And it was a low-paying job, $6,000 a year. Now, that'd be about $18,000 in today's dollars, but that's still not a whole lot to live on, is it? And uh, I was no longer receiving any help from my parents, no longer living with them, wasn't dependent upon them, but in spite of the bad economy. And, you know, really, even if my pay had been cut in half, I never had to worry about a thing. I, I didn't have to worry about what I would eat, where I would stay, what I'd wear. Didn't have to worry about it at all. It was taken care of. In other words, I had a promise of three hots and a cot. You know what I'm talking about? Three hot meals a day and a place to sleep at night. How did I have such assurance? I had the assurance from Uncle Sam because I had joined the army. And, uh, you know, I had the promise that they were going to take care of me. Three hots and a cot. And guess what? My God is more faithful than Uncle Sam. <laughs> if I can count on Uncle Sam, how much more can we count on God? And you say, well, it doesn't really relate. Yes, it does. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, first part of that verse says, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Nobody does. Somebody who serves as a soldier serves at the expense of of whatever authority that soldier is under. And if I'm a soldier in God's army, I don't have to serve at my expense. I serve at God's expense. And that might sound crazy to say, but that's exactly what Paul is saying in that verse. And my God is more capable of taking care of his soldiers than any other force in the world. And if you're committed to his purposes, the purposes of his faith, the purposes of a relationship with God, the purpose of bearing fruit that he's given to us. If you're committed to that, you can count on the power of God in every area of your life. Every area, I promise you. Now, we still have to grapple with some things. James talks about sometimes we don't receive because of selfish motives. So we still have to deal with those things. You know, Jesus in Mark 11 talks about, you know, having faith in your heart, faith and not doubting and believing. And we have to grapple with those things. And there are many other things because sometimes, you know, we have plenty of faith, but we still don't see what we're praying for come to pass. And we don't always know the answers to that. There are a lot of moving parts to seeing God answer prayers in power. But I can tell you this, you're going to see the power of God. Not, maybe not always exactly when and how you want, but we live this kind of lifestyle as a soldier of God, committed to God, having faith in God, the God who is the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we're committed to making Him known and glorifying Him in the earth and drawing people into a relationship with Him. Guess what? We are going to see the power of God at work. This also calls for the right perspective. 
the right perspective. Condition number one is purpose, bearing fruit. Condition number two is perspective. Mark eleven twenty four, Jesus says this. Here's our perspective. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and you will receive it. Our perspective is one that we have received from God. When I was getting ready to go to seminary, I was entirely on my own. I had, you know, been in the army, had finished two years of college on my own with military benefits, and now I was going to seminary and totally on my own. My parents weren't paying for it, and I lived with my parents for the summer between college and seminary, and while I was there, I told my dad I needed to buy a car. I, I would need one in seminary because of where I would be living in relationship to the seminary. And so I had a budget of $300. That's $815 in today's, you know, dollars. I had a budget of what would be equivalent to $815 today to buy a car, which is not very good. I went on Car Trader and I saw that, you know, you can get a car for $815, but it's probably going to have about 200,000 miles on it. And that's really where I was. And I, my dad and I, we went looking for a car. I couldn't find anything. And then, you know, one afternoon I got home from work and dad said, hey, I want you to go to uh, this used car dealer and uh, pick up this car. It was one of the cars we had looked at, but that had been way beyond my budget. I was like, what do, you, what do you mean? He said, well, just go pick up the car. It's paid for. All I had to do was receive it. All I had to do was go and get the key and drive it out of the car lot. It was mine. I, I didn't have to work up some kind of faith. I didn't have to work. I just had to trust what my father said to me and believe that I had received it and just go and get it, and I did receive it. And I believe our Heavenly Father is exactly the same way. And, you know, God's not bound by time. Believe that you have received it, and you will receive it. And then there's another condition that Jesus talks about here, another perspective, I would say. And that's the last verse that we read, Mark 11:25. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. What does that have to do with anything that was said before? Well, it has a lot to do because this is the perspective. Not just that you have received something, but that you have been forgiven. That you've been forgiven. When we know that my sins are forgiven, I'm blessed because my sins are forgiven. Then we can forgive anybody else and in the future we'll receive the benefits of that forgiveness. So what Jesus is saying is he's saying, take the perspective that your sins are forgiven. And here's a good check as to how well you have received that assurance by how you forgive somebody else. See, if we know that we've been forgiven ourselves, if we really know that and we're living in that, we can extend forgiveness to others. And that's a whole other sermon. It doesn't mean that you say that what somebody else did wrong was right. It doesn't mean that there's no accountability or no justice. It means simply that you have released that person and you're not hanging on to anger and bitterness that will keep you from experiencing God's best. And you're only able to do that by the miracle working power of God in releasing you from what you have done against God. And we've all 
wander from God. We've all sinned against God. But when we know that we're forgiven, man, we can stand in God's presence in confidence and we can know that he hears what we pray. And as 1 John says, when we know that he hears what we pray, we know that we're going to have what we asked. This is a powerful biblical principle. So if we walk in God's forgiveness and we're all about embracing other people and drawing them into a relationship with God that he, he can forgive them and they can have an eternal relationship with God. That's bearing fruit. And if we're, if we're that kind of people, we're going to see miracles like we've never seen before. Let me ask you, do you know that you are forgiven and that you have that kind of confidence before God? Well, you can have it right now. And we're going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask everybody who's in the room with me and everybody who's watching to pray this prayer and make it your own. Just say these words. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I believe Jesus died. He was raised from the dead. And he is Lord. Forgive me of all my sins. Be the Lord of my life. Thank you for receiving me into your presence. Thank you for hearing my prayers. Thank you for doing miracles in me and through me. Work through me, Lord, to show your love to the people around me every day of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for Revival Leadership Insights with Ed Crenshaw. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and invite you to subscribe to our podcast and check us out at edcrenshaw.com for free resources.